Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to The Other Hand, a podcast that tries to do something different. A discussion between Jim Power and Chris Johns about the issues of the day, political developments, economics, finance, and anything else that takes our interest. How are we different? We hope our discussions speak for themselves. You are most welcome to our podcast. Hello, uh, welcome to our latest podcast. Uh, this one is going to be a little bit different because we've invited for the first time since we launched the series um, a guest to talk to us, and I'll introduce him in, in a second. Over the last number of years, really, there's been a very significant move at an international level to address corporation tax issues. We have the OECD project on BEPS, the base erosion profit shifting. We have EU policies towards a common consolidated corporate tax base. And in recent weeks, we've had major developments in the United States. We discussed these in a podcast last week, but we decided to bring an expert on the subject in to talk to us to elucidate on some of the issues we were pondering about last week. So I'm delighted to be joined by Seamus Coffey, Professor of Economics in UCC, former chairman of the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council, and most importantly, in the context of this podcast, uh, probably the greatest living expert on global corporation tax and Ireland's corporation tax system that we have in this country. So welcome to the podcast, Seamus, and thank you very much for joining us. If I could just get the ball rolling by asking you, could you give us a little bit of history on Ireland's corporate tax system and how it has evolved over the years and what it set out to achieve and has it done that? Uh, yeah, thanks very much for, for the invitation and thanks for the 
the the references there and a bit of a title bump as well, Jim. Um, on Ireland's corporate tax system, I suppose, like a lot of things originally in Ireland, it evolved from uh, the British system uh, pre-independence. Uh, income tax itself evolved initially around 1800 um, with the introduction of the, of the income tax system in the UK and it applied both to people and to companies. And many of the rules were pretty similar. There wasn't a huge distinction made between uh, taxes on people and, and taxes on companies. Um, they sort of, the system sort of evolved without sort of that, that dual purpose uh, of taxing entities, whether they were physical entities or, or legal entities. Um, following independence in Ireland, we had pretty much the same system. Um, and that was largely unchanged for the first 40 or 50 years. But then from an Irish perspective, we began, I suppose, to, to use tax incentives uh, to try and change the direction of the economy. Uh, from about the 1930s to the late 1950s, the Irish economy was very inward looking. Uh, but then there was a slow turnaround of the economy and beginning to look outward. And one of the ways that the economy began to look outward was by trying to attract in investment from abroad using uh, tax incentives. Um, and the first one was introduced in 1958. It was the, the export profits tax relief. Um, but initially it had that inward orientation. Initially it was targeted at Irish companies. Um, in Ireland, we had passed uh, an act of the Oireachtas called the Control of Manufacturers Act back in 1933. Uh, and this actually meant that by and large, we were trying to limit foreign ownership of companies in Ireland. Now, it was observed more in the breach than the abeyance. Uh, licenses were available and they were freely provided. But that was on the statute book that there was a Control of Manufacturers Act. Companies in Ireland had to be owned by Irish people. Um, and initially, the, the export profits tax relief only applied to Irish companies uh, when it was introduced in the late 1950s. It was only then, over the coming years, that the Control of Manufacturers Act was repealed. The tax rate was actually reduced to zero. The Irish tax incentive started out as a 0% tax uh, on exports. Uh, and since then, the system has evolved through various different schemes to the headline 12.5% rate uh, it is now. But it has its origins in the income tax system of the UK uh, around 1800, and then the outward looking emerge in Ireland in the 1950s. Thanks for that, Seamus. It's Chris here. Um, I'd like to extend um, Jim's welcome as well. Uh, as, as an economist, I can dimly remember my lectures uh, um, in the accounting modules that I studied about transfer pricing. About, and this is something that clearly is as old as the hills. Companies all over the world, will tr multinational companies, we were taught, would try to sit locate their profits in a low-tax regime and not necessarily where their sales or their economic activity was taking place. Is this... Uh, essentially what's been going on all the time with all of the, you know, the arcane details of double Irishes and all those other loopholes that we read so much about. Is that, has the controversy essentially focused on that old uh, phenomenon of transfer pricing? Yeah, so, so the transfer pricing system emerged about 100 years ago. Like when income taxes uh, were originally introduced 200 years ago, companies were in the one place. Uh, you didn't really have to deal with international boundaries. Uh, and sort of trade between subsidiary parts of companies. But with the first year of globalization, in the early 1900s, uh, the tax system hadn't kept pace with it. Um, and then a group of economists got together in a room and said, we need a solution to this. Who gets to tax the profits of companies that trade across boundaries? Uh, and the system that was come up with was this system of transfer pricing. Um, how do you come up with a price for a, essentially an, int an intra-company transfer 
when a product is moved from one part of a company to another, but, but you're going across boundaries. So now you could have a company developing a product in one country, manufacturing the product in another country, and selling the product in a third country. You now need some system to design. Well, who gets to determine where the profit is taxed? Does it all happen where the product is developed, where the product is manufactured, or where the product is sold? So transfer pricing was sort of a, a system that was used to, to price the trades within companies. So how much does the developer get paid? How much does the manufacturer get paid? And how much does the, the seller get paid? Um, so obviously this created incentives for companies because like these were internal prices within companies um, and they had the incentives to, to lo- as you say, locate their profits uh, in low tax jurisdictions. Now these transactions are two-sided. Um, so a company can try to locate its profit in a low tax jurisdiction. But if it has activity in another country, that country is perfectly entitled to tax that activity. Um, so it's not just a case of companies having free reign. Um, there are certain principles out there. Uh, and if a country feels it's getting shortchanged, they can challenge the, the transfer price that the company is applying. Okay, Seamus, in the, the, the whole debate on corporate global corporation tax and the pressure that's been coming to bear over the last few years, um, Ireland is very frequently... Uh, mentioned it's in the headlines it's in the spotlight um from your perspective is there and i suppose sorry before i ask you a, a lot of the coverage is of a pretty negative variety there's a sort of a view in countries like france and germany indeed in the united states that we are using our tax system to steal tax revenues from those countries and they're justifiably peed off about that um is there anything wrong with what Ireland has done? You know, and if there is, what is it? And have other countries not been using similar and different methods to try and attract foreign direct investment into their own countries? Are we different? Well, there's a, a number of countries out there that use uh, tax incentives to attract investment. Uh, and in a sense, Ireland had used taxes to try and develop the economy during our inward orientation phase as well, except the taxes we used uh, were import tariffs, uh, where we tried to develop uh, indigenous industry by protecting them uh, from foreign competition. But then when the economy switched uh, and we fought, saw that the inward orientation hadn't worked, uh, we used sort of low tax incentives to attract uh, investment in Ireland. Is Ireland stealing tax revenue from others? No, that's not true. Uh, if companies have activity in other countries, those countries are fully entitled to tax the profit from those activities. There is no rule or anything that Ireland can do that can reduce uh, the tax that a company has to pay on the activities it has in another country. Now, of course, the companies have choice about where they put that activity, and that is a company choice, and they may choose to put that activity in Ireland. That's not Ireland stealing tax revenue that would rightfully be due in another country. If a country feels it has tax revenue to collect, it should go and collect it. It doesn't have to look to Ireland for permission uh, or look to, to other areas to see why it's been denied doing so. Uh, unless the activity is there, it, it can't tax it. Is what Ireland is doing wrong and this idea of, of Ireland being a tax haven? Well, there's a, sort of a number of, of issues that kind of would run counter to that. One is we collect now, collect at least, huge amounts of corporation tax. Um, it would be a, a bit bizarre to think that uh, a country with the amount of tax receipts we have uh, we collected around 12 billion euro in corporation tax last year. That's close on two and a half thousand euro for every man, woman and child in the country. Uh, for a household of four, uh, that's 10,000 euro. If you were to look at what's collected in France, uh, they're collecting around a thousand euro per capita. 
Um, so our receipts are, are far greater to those. And then if you look at it being like you say, oh, Ireland is collecting so much profit, sorry, so much tax because there's so much profit there. Companies are locating their profit in Ireland. Yes, they're locating profit in Ireland um, and Ireland is collecting tax from it, but it's US companies. Uh, if you look at the distortions to Irish GDP, uh, it's all the profit of US companies. Uh, if Ireland is such an effective tax haven and is so attractive for companies to locate profit here, where's the French profit in Ireland? Where is the German profit in Ireland? Indeed, where is the UK profit in Ireland? Uh, we share a language, they're only 60 miles across the, the Irish Sea, uh, yet there's very low levels uh, of profit of UK companies in Ireland. And any UK companies that are here are by and large serving the domestic Irish market. Where you see the, the bizarre numbers, and they are bizarre, is for US companies, thousands of miles away, many of them the west coast of the US, even further away, uh, yet they have tens of billions uh, of profit in Ireland. So if Ireland is such an attractive tax haven, uh, how can't we sell that attractiveness to countries we share a common language with, the UK, uh, and countries we share a common currency with, such as France and Germany? Uh, why is it uh, all US companies that are here? So why do the Europeans complain so much, Seamus? We do hear a lot from various European politicians, European finance ministers in particular, in a sense, echoing what Jim has just said. You know, Ireland is taking our, our revenues and our jobs. Are you, you seem to be suggesting that they are labouring under a misconception. And they've had uh, efforts over the last number of years uh, to try and address these perceptions that they have. Um, so, so the large European countries would have been a driver of the, the OECD's BEPS project uh, that Jim mentioned in his introduction. Uh, and one of the sort of fundamental principles of the original OECD BEPS project was to get companies to align their profit with their substance. Going back to this idea of transfer pricing, where does the activity take place? Um, and I think a key driver of this was to try and, and uh, attack countries such as Ireland. And indeed, if you go back seven or eight years ago, and read the, the op-ed pages about what the OECD BEPS process was going to do to Ireland's corporation tax regime and the huge threats and risks it presented to Ireland, um, you'll see kind of a similar tone to what's happening now with the Biden administration. But what has happened with the OECD BEPS process is that Ireland has been the winner and one of the largest winners uh, of the BEPS process. Uh, and why has that been? Well, the BEPS process is trying to get companies to align their profit with their substance. The U.S. companies had lots of profit in Bermuda, in Cayman. In some cases, they had the profit nowhere at all. It was ocean money, stateless money. Um, and there have been changes introduced to address that. Uh, but where did the profit end up? The location of customers has no bearing on where corporate taxes are paid. So France, Germany, Italy and Spain might have lots of customers of these U.S. companies. But Ireland has the substance. The factories are here. Uh, their international headquarters are here. So as the OECD BEPS process has moved on, what we've actually seen in Ireland is, one, we have the investment. Why do we want the investment? We want the jobs. And now third, it's like a, a stool that's getting more and more legs added to it. We're now collecting corporate tax because the intention uh, of the BEPS project was to align profit with substance. We had the substance and now we have the profit. So what you're arguing quite strongly is that the, these hints that we see from European politicians in particular is that they want... Apple and Amazon and all these other big technology companies that are forever in the headlines about this. It's not so much where the profits are, it's where the sales are. And what you're suggesting, I think, there is that, that, that they don't really stand much chance of getting much headway on that, or do they? No, the current system of taxing companies, the location of customers has no bearing. Uh, if you're a company and you manufacture something, 
Uh, you pay a tax where you manufacture it. Um, now, now, the U.S. companies obviously have multiple uh, operations, both in the U.S. and in countries like Ireland. But where their customers are doesn't matter. That's not a factor that feeds in to transfer pricing um, principles. It's uh, the activity. Uh, it's where the risks, functions, and assets are. Where's the stuff that the company does? Uh, so France might say that Apple has hundreds of millions of sales in France every year. So what from a corporate tax perspective? France gets to charge VAT on those sales. Uh, and that is the, in a sense, the destination type tax uh, we have on those sales. Uh, but the profits is more the source-based principle. Where is the origin or source of those profits? Uh, and that is, well, by and large, uh, in Cupertino and California, uh, but a certain amount of activity takes place in Ireland. Now, you could say that that system should change. Mm. And Jim mentioned the common consolidated corporate tax base, uh, and that does change and move away from transfer pricing. And that does give a weight to sales. Where are your final customers? Uh, but the CCCTB has been bouncing around the European Commission since the 1970s. Uh, every 10 years or so, it makes a reappearance. Uh, it's never got widespread support across sufficient countries to be a sort of a credible proposition uh, facing uh, implementation. But it is a different system uh, than what we have there now. Now, to say that the transfer pricing rules um, are OK is fine, but it hasn't really kept pace with all the economy. Uh, one thing that maybe does need updating um, is how profit is allocated for digital companies. So not maybe the likes of Apple who are selling a phys physical product like a phone, but online companies. Like what is the product of Google? Um, well, you could say we are the product. Like we don't give money to them. So Google must be earning money from somewhere. Uh, and Google is earning money from our eyeballs. Uh, it is putting ads in front of us. How does it know what ads to put in front of us? It tracks our search history. It tracks our location. It tracks our contents, um, contacts. And the customers for Google are a huge asset. Um, and it could be and probably should be uh, that some of the profit should be allocated to those assets. Not necessarily a violation of the transfer pricing principle, merely that a recognition that for these digital companies, some of their asset is actually in the customer countries. That if Google has tens of millions of customers in France, that's a valuable asset. Uh, and maybe France should be collecting more tax from the likes of Google simply on the basis of, of that asset that's there. So I do think, and the OECD are working towards it, it's sort of the second stage of their BEPS project um, to say that in these instances, um, countries should get more to profit the tax uh, by dint of the fact that they have the customers, they have the eyeballs and have these valuable assets. Now, the US opposes this uh, and the Biden administration uh, opposes this because, of course, many of these companies are American companies. But it is a recognition that these transfer pricing rules do always need to be evolving. So it is it is. So go ahead, Jim. Sorry. Oh, Chris, go ahead, please. It is more nuanced than the headlines would, would suggest. And I imagine that listening to what you've just said, you sometimes must get very frustrated the way this debate does get reported. Um, that it, it is a, a much uh, subtler, nuanced uh, story uh, compared to the one that we painted earlier on about Ireland stealing revenues and jobs. The answer is, in many cases, we're not. We're playing by long established rules. Indeed, many countries do that. The system, I hear you say, could be updated for certain companies. But that doesn't sound like the revolution in corporate, global corporate taxation that um, many people seem to think is necessary. Yes, and like a lot, large elements of the debate on corporate tax 
uh, are devoid of facts. Um, you'd imagine that, uh, given the, the nature of some of the headlines, uh, the governments aren't collecting any uh, corporate tax. Uh, occasionally, I enter in discussions into people about corporate tax, uh, and they tell me that companies pay no tax. Uh, and I say, can you give me an example of a company that pays no tax? And very frequently, the example that's given back is the example of Apple. Um, and like this just highlights the bizarre nature of the debate. To, to ask somebody to give you an example of a company that pays no tax, and the example they give you is the company that pays the most corporate tax, uh, shows how utterly maybe removed uh, from the actuality of what's happening large parts of the debate has gone. Like Apple pays huge amounts of tax. In the last 10 years, its actual cash tax, corporate tax payments have exceeded $100 billion dollars. Now, it's paid $100 billion in corporate tax because it earns huge amounts of profit. But $100 billion is a massive amount of tax. And the fact that there's this perception that it is an example of a company that doesn't pay tax uh, shows that there is a certain disconnect there between the popular perception uh, and what's happening action in reality. There is often reference to a race to the bottom uh, in corporate tax that because of countries like Ireland, other countries are forced to cut their tax rates and governments are losing out on massive amounts of tax revenue because of this competition. But the race to the bottom in corporate tax shows up everywhere except in corporate tax revenues. If you look across the EU, EU countries now are collecting more money in corporate tax, either as a share of GDP, as a share of tax revenue than they were 30 years ago. Yes, rates have come down. Uh, but lots of countries have reduced their rates while broadening the base. And that simply means they've been reducing allowances, limiting deductions, uh, and capturing more profit uh, at lower tax rates. So you can do a nice catchy graph and show corporate tax rates falling. Uh, and people can say, oh, there's large tax cuts for companies. It's very hard to do a catchy graph for technical changes to the tax base. That means those lower rates apply to more profit. Uh, but if you just look at the amount of tax revenue being collected by governments, that's not falling. You, you have explained the reality of the situation, but um, the perception is still out there. And, how, and, it's, and it's obviously proving extremely difficult for Ireland to dam or dampen that perception. So what can we do or how dangerous is it? I mean, can that perception become the perceived reality and then result in tax changes that will be very disadvantageous to Ireland? Well, well, if the changes introduced are done so on the basis of the perception, uh, it may be we see what's happened over the last 10 years. Uh, the changes are introduced ostensibly on the basis uh, of attacking or undercutting or limiting the ability of Ireland uh, to attract investment, but actually end up benefiting us. Uh, so this has happened with the OECD's BEPS process, and it's possible it will happen with... Uh, the, the changes the Biden administration are, are proposing in the US, um, the significant tax increases. Now, in large part, it's just a reversal of tax cuts that were introduced uh, under the, the Trump administration. Uh, but again, rather than being a significant threat to Ireland, in some instances, uh, if the US goes too far, uh, there could be a potential increase in attractiveness for Ireland. So I, I think the policymakers, if they have certain objectives in mind, it shouldn't be on the basis of perceptions which by and large could be um, incorrect. It should actually be on the basis of the reality uh, and what are you trying to achieve. Is this a perception that Ireland tries to shift? Well, I don't know. It's clearly, it's out there. It is a dominant view 
Uh, but has it ha- harmed Ireland over the last 10 years or so? The investment continues to flow. Uh, the employment has increased. Uh, and, of course, the tax revenue has increased. So even with that perception out there, um, the benefits have, have continued to accrue to Ireland. Uh, and it's hard to say that it has led to a, a negative uh, impact on Ireland. No, I think at some stage the debate should catch up with the reality and maybe then changes will be introduced that could be a, a significant threat to Ireland. But we haven't seen that yet. You don't see anything in the Biden proposals that represents that significant threat? Potentially. It, again, it depends on, on how they're implemented. Um, so, so the president has set forward a plan, but of course it's the US Congress uh, that passes the US tax laws. All the president can do is sign it. Uh, and while his party does have a slim majority uh, in the US Senate, it is very slim. Uh, and there's a far from certain guarantee that the proposals as set forward um, will get through Congress. Now, there is a very significant threat uh, to Ireland within those proposals, and that is the uh, changes the Biden administration is proposing to the current uh, minimum tax that the US has. Um, So the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that Donald Trump signed in December 2017 introduced a a minimum tax uh, on the foreign profits uh, of US companies uh, under the, the suitable acronym GUILTY, uh, global intangible low tax income. Uh, so if you have this, you are guilty and you owe additional tax to the US. But essentially the rate of this was set at 10.5%, which is quite low. And crucially, it was applied on a global basis. Uh, so US companies could take high profit in the likes of Germany, blend it with low profit, low tax profit in Ireland, and end up not more, owing much additional tax to the US. The Biden administration is proposing to double the rate, go to 21%, and to do it on a country-by-country basis, uh, to abolish this blending, um, that if you have profit in a low-tax jurisdiction, you can't offset it with higher tax profits elsewhere, and you would owe significant additional tax to the US. Uh, and that would reduce the attractiveness uh, of regimes at 12.5%, such as Ireland. Um, if the com- company is going to be paying 21%, going to a country with a rate of 12.5%, reduce the attractiveness. But like if Germany and France uh, are in the mid to high 20s or even the low 30s, there still is an attraction, a relative attraction for, for low tax jurisdictions. So it doesn't eliminate the attractiveness of low tax jurisdictions, but it could reduce it. But again, it all depends on what comes through uh, the US Congress. So maybe this one, if I was to think of one thing that could be a potential threat for Ireland, it would be the minimum tax in the Biden proposal, and particularly if it's done on a country by country basis. This may be too simplistic, Seamus, but is, is my understanding correct that if Biden gets through, say, a global minimum tax country by country of, say, 20, that a company operating in Ireland that pays the Irish exchequer 12.5% would then owe another 8.5% to Joe Biden? That's that correct, yes. In, in rough terms, that, that's, that would be it, yes. Yeah. Uh, and if they had profit in Germany, say, taxed at 25%, they wouldn't owe any additional tax to the U.S., so having the profit in Ireland would still be um, beneficial from the company's perspective. But now, rather than being 25% versus 12.5%, it would be 25% versus 21 So that gap would have significantly narrowed. Seamus, you, you, you mentioned earlier on about uh, if Ireland was such a tax haven, why aren't a lot more companies from France, Germany, the UK located here? And it's it's a preponderance of U.S. state companies, as we know. I mean, 
what does that reflect? Does it reflect inherent faults in the US corporate tax system? Or does it reflect the fact that Ireland is basically uh, using the sort of IDA terminology, um, an English speaking business friendly country that is fully integrated into the European Union, etc, etc? Why is Ireland so attractive for US companies? Um, Well, the, the, the So the the ultimate reason is the U.S. tax system. People have looked back and say, why is is the Irish uh, sort of tax system so attractive um, for U.S. companies? Is there a smoking gun? Could you say in 1980, Ireland introduced legislation to allow companies from the U.S. to generate low tax outcomes by changing whatever rule it is? And thus far, this smoking gun hasn't been found. Uh, It seems to be a dint of history that this uh, system we inherited from the British um, had rules that seemed to fit in very nicely um, with some of the, the provisions of the US tax law um, and uh, made it attractive for companies to set up here. Now, the ultimate problem is that the US lets this profit out. If you look at the so-called tax haven jurisdictions uh, and graphs that are frequently put up about the amount of profit uh, that is in these jurisdictions, whether it's European countries like Ireland, the Netherlands, uh, Luxembourg, etc., or the small island nations, the Bermudas, the Caymans, the Bahamas, where the companies have no substance, but up to recently had very large amounts of profit. If you look at these charts, they're always of US companies. Where is the similar chart for German companies, for French companies, uh, even for UK companies? Um, a key problem with the international tax system is that the US lets so much profit out. Where does Google generate its profit? It's not in Grand Canal Dock in Dublin. It's not, by and large, uh, in the market countries in the EU. Uh, it's uh, over in California, similarly for Apple. But the US transfer pricing system isn't as airtight uh, as other countries. And um, the problems with get- getting provisions through Congress, I mean, it hasn't been suitably revised, that allows all this profit to uh, seep out. Um, So US companies, they they can split their sort of operations into domestic operations, servicing the US market, maybe the Americas, and then international operations. Uh, A lot of those are headquartered out of Dublin, selling to customers all around the world. But because of the way the US system has developed, uh, that the profit from selling to Uh, customers from those international operations is deemed to be offshore, that the U.S. tax system needs it to be repatriated back to the U.S. Now, all this money is in the U.S. to begin with, but it's the arcane nature of the U.S. tax laws that deemed profit from selling to customers abroad to be offshore. No other tax system does that. Uh, Most tax systems don't take into account the location of customers at all. So in large part, I I think a lot of the problems and a lot of the headlines that emerge in the corporate tax debates uh, are all about U.S. companies. If the U.S. could clean up its system, and I don't think the Biden proposals are a comprehensive team about that, they're trying to fill in some of the gaps uh, without dealing comprehensively with many of the issues. If the U.S. system was much better, many of the headlines would disappear. Now, from an Irish perspective, we benefited hugely. These companies want operations abroad. They want to be able to shift their profit abroad. Uh, and they've been able to do a large amount of that in Dublin and Ireland. One of the things that I think has emerged from this discussion so far is that, is that the problem is more apparent than real. The unfairness of the tax system is more apparent than real. But nevertheless, of course, Seamus, you will be far more into the details of it than me. All of these little things over the years that have dominated the headlines, and I'm thinking here particularly about the famous double Irish, 
that wasn't right, was it? Well, like the double layer is, is very interesting. Like if you look at sort of the comments of the Minister of Finance at the time, Michael Noonan, uh, before uh, October 2014, uh, he was asked frequently about the double Irish and he stock response was the double Irish is not a feature of the Irish tax system. Uh, the double Irish is a function of the interplay between uh, various tax systems and is primarily driven uh, by provisions in the US tax code and that it was nothing to do with him. Uh, then in October 2014, around the, at the budget, he, the Minister of Finance, Michael Luna, stood up in the doll and said he was abolishing the double Irish. Now, one of those statements has to be false. You cannot say it's nothing to do with you and then say you're abolishing it. Um, so one of those is false. Uh, and in my view, the one that's false is when he stood up and said he was abolishing the double Irish. And I think it was a bit of a misstep to do it. Like there was moves in place to tackle these things internationally. Uh, but because we have a minister for finance that stands up and says he's abolishing the double Irish, it sounds as if it's something that Irish in Ireland introduced. Here is the smoking gun. Ireland introduced the double Irish and got rid of it in 2014. Okay, it was grandfathered for a few years, but now it's it's fully gone. But, but what was the double Irish? So it was US companies setting up their international operations in Ireland and doing it via two companies. They had a trading company in Ireland primarily in Dublin, and they had a holding company that had the license, had the intellectual property, had the rights to use the technology developed in the US. So if you want to sell advertising on Google's platform, well, that is a hugely valuable asset to have. Um, so Google had the international rights, put it into a holding company, and that holding company was in Bermuda. But of course, the, the company in Bermuda was Irish Incorporated. And this is the double part of the double Irish. It's two companies, both incorporated in Ireland. The trading company doing the selling in Dublin and the holding company with the asset getting all the profit uh, in Bermuda. So why the US companies do this? Well, it was to take advantage of provisions in the US tax code. The US granted deferral uh, for active profit. If you were selling something to customers and generated profit from that, you didn't owe tax back to the US. But if you had passive income, the US didn't allow you to defer the tax. You had to pay the tax straight away. And at the time, it was 35%. So, of course, a holding company only has passive income. It has an asset and it charges for the use of that asset. So huge royalty payments left Ireland and went to Bermuda. Uh, and by right, under the US tax code, that would have meant 35% of that money would have been paid to the US Treasury in the form of US tax. But within deep within the US tax code was a thing called the same country exemption. And the US tax code, well, if you're moving money around within the same country, so that couldn't be for tax purposes. Uh, and you don't have to pay the tax that is due. You can continue to defer the tax. How did the US judge whether two companies were in the same country? It did so on the basis of their incorporation. Where are they registered? So in the double Irish, you had two Irish registered companies. We know one was in Dublin, but the one with all the profit was in Bermuda. So it wasn't Irish profit to tax. But because that's um, moving passive income around, under what were called the subpart F changes that the JFK administration introduced in the 1960s, that should have been taxable immediately. But loophole introduced, same country exemption, set it up, get your profit to Bermuda, and because of the same country exemption, the US tax payment isn't triggered. And that, in a sense, is what the double Irish was. It was setting up your two companies to take advantage of the same country exemption in the US tax code. And for five or six years prior to 2014, 
That is the position Michael Noonan holds. This is the interplay of international rules, primarily the US rule. It is not a function of the US, of the, sorry, not a function of the Irish tax code. Then in October 2014, he stood up and said he was abolishing it. I don't know how he was changing US tax rules, but... That's yeah, that's an interesting question. It sounds like from your explanation there, which is absolutely fascinating, that somehow or other Michael Noonan interfered with the US tax code. He didn't. So countries could still do double Irish type structures. What, what Ireland changed was that the company in Bermuda uh, wouldn't be considered non-resident um, in a non-treaty country. So Ireland looked at the company in Bermuda and said, that's not here. But Ireland doesn't have a, a tax treaty with Bermuda. Uh, and the changes Michael Noonan introduced were that you couldn't get an Irish incorporated company and have it resident in Bermuda because Ireland doesn't have a tax treaty with it. Now, it does limit the ability to use double Irish structures with non-treaty countries. But you could have done something similar with Malta, maybe even with Jersey, or with the United Arab Emirates, all of which Ireland has a double tax treaty with. So you can say you're getting rid of the double Irish, and you can't do it in Bermuda, but if you want to continue, do it in Malta, do it in Jersey, do it in the UAE. There was nothing Michael Noonan could do about that. Uh, but he got the headlines, Ireland abolishes the double Irish. But I'm not sure. I, I think you, you could look at it as being a, a bit of a misstep because there was international moves against these types of systems anyway. Companies shouldn't have tens of billions of profit in Bermuda. There's nothing there. And the OECD's BEPT process was about targeting that, uh, aligning companies' profit uh, and their substance. Uh, and the main changes that have emerged haven't necessarily been Ireland changing its residence rules. Uh, we got the headlines for abolishing the double Irish. The main reason there's been changes uh, has been because of changes at the OECD and changes in the US. The US got rid of the FARO. The same country exemption doesn't matter anymore. So that the concept and principles uh, of the double Irish have been eliminated, but not by changes passed by the Dáil in Ireland. And it's now interesting to look at where the money is flowing. Like Google and Facebook are still selling tens of billions of advertising uh, out of Ireland. Where does that money go after? It used to go to Bermuda. It used to go to the Cayman Islands. It's now going to the US. And that is primarily what should be happening. In yeah. 2020, royalty payments from Ireland to the United States for 50 billion euro. Uh, and that is paying for the technology that was developed in the US. So now the money that's been collected in France and Germany and Spain and selling advertising is coming to Ireland where the advertising is sold from and is now going back to the US where the technology is, is developed. So I think that is an improvement. It shouldn't have been going to Bermuda. It's now going to the US. So are France and Germany and Spain, etc., going to say that the US is stealing their tax money? You maybe had an argument when the money was going to Bermuda and the US wasn't collecting it. But now the money is going back straight back to the US uh, and is taxable there. So we've had lots of improvements. These little loopholes or big loopholes, depending on your choice of words, have slowly closed. Things have slowly improved, not to the point of perfection. But the interesting outcome of all of these steady incremental um, improvements in recent years has been accompanied by an explosion of Irish corporation tax revenues. It hasn't damaged us at all, quite the opposite. And what you're suggesting is that there remains the possibility that far from being a massive threat to Ireland going forward, we might see we might see this continue. Yeah, so it, it, it does depend on what the basis for the changes being introduced are. If the changes are introduced in the reality, well, then you could easily design a system uh, to attack Ireland. Uh, but if, you're, if your changes are based on misperceptions, well, then you might not be aiming for the right target. You might be hitting the right target. Uh, you might be aiming for it, but you might miss. Um, and Ireland has collected significant amounts of, of tax revenue that's grown. In the, the medium term, I don't see that dropping over a, a cliff. 
the companies have substance here. Uh, and while we focus on the ICT companies, the Googles and the Facebooks, etc., their substance in Ireland is probably pretty limited. They have their headquarters, but really their substance at present is probably a lot of empty buildings in Dublin that aren't doing a whole lot. And because of that, you see them actually sending their profit back to the US. Where does far more significant substance is in manufacturing, pharmaceuticals, uh, computer chips, medical devices, soft drink concentrate. Those companies have a very significant manufacturing presence in Ireland. And because companies had to get their IP out of the, the warm, sandy beaches of the Caribbean, the ICT companies moved it to the US. What we've seen with the pharmaceutical companies is that they've moved their IP to Ireland. Like, where did they have their substance? They had their substance in Ireland. They haven't moved it back to the US where the R&D is. They have moved it to Ireland. And what you actually might see is more employment, more investment coming to justify the profits they have here. Um, given we've seen a huge surge in intellectual property, a huge surge in GDP in Ireland as those types of companies uh, have moved their IP here. Uh, and again, because it's here, we have the advantage. It is here. Uh, you can try and, and do changes subsequently, uh, but it is here. Uh, so I don't see things changing in the immediate. We're not going to go over a cliff. Now, with manufacturing, there is maybe a five, seven, ten-year cycle. And I'm sure Intel, who have just announced a multi-billion euro investment in Leakslip, are considering their investment for 2027. And there's no guarantee that that will be in Ireland. But we have the next, next, next six or seven years of the current investment cycle to kind of, sort of get, her in, get ourselves in a position to get the next investment cycle. Seamus, that's been brilliant. We are coming up against our, our self-imposed um, time limit, but I'll, I'll allow Jim one more question, and I've got one more question for you. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, the populist level, the tabloid level, given we, we've talked about a lot of great, fascinating detail. What do you say to the citizen of France or England who's being whipped up into a frenzy by the popular media, by their own finance ministers, by companies saying, like... And you see these headlines, but Amazon generates billions of sales, um, a few billion of profit in this country and pays seven and six in tax. And it's not fair. It's not right. How do you address those sorts of complaints? It is very difficult. Like politicians love a bogeyman. Uh, And if the bogeyman is a company, even better, it's not a person who votes. And if that's a foreign company, even better again. Um, So the the, the politicians, you say, whipping up the frenzy uh, are, in a sense, shooting at an open goal. Um, and it is very difficult to counter these narratives uh, and they can get a foothold. And like you see umpteen stories in the media uh, relaying revenues uh, to tax. And you're saying, well, you don't pay tax on revenue. Uh, and I'm pretty sure the journalists running the stories know this, uh, but they're trying to generate a particular reaction. Uh, and that reaction continues. So I, I do think it is very difficult to, to switch it around. Uh, you can keep saying that tax is paid on profit and the location of customers doesn't matter. Um, we've had this sort of view of corporation tax for a decade. It seems to be continuing. Uh, but I think as changes are introduced and maybe they see countries like Ireland benefiting, there might be a second a kind of a second thought of what's going on here. Uh, why is Ireland getting more t- profit and more tax uh, and not us? Uh, from the changes we've been introduced. So I think it's hard to tackle. Um, uh, it is a, very much a media and politician-driven story. Um, and I think it'll continue for a while yet. Thank you, Seamus. I'm done. Jim, have you got anything? Yeah, so I, I just, finally, Seamus, I, I guess the, you know, the, the notion that there is a significant threat to the 11.8 billion in corporation tax receipts, the 260,000 people employed in the FDI sector directly, um, the the threat to those 
jobs um, and those tax revenues is pretty muted as you would see it? Um, well, I suppose with anything like you look at probability versus impact. So you might think that the probability of a significant loss um, is quite low given that the changes have benefited Ireland to date and it's not yet sure what will come through the, the, the Biden proposals uh, and the OECD is trying to move their sort of second strand of the BEPS process on. Um, so while the probability of significant loss might be low, the impact would be very, very large. Mm. Um, so I wouldn't dismiss it as uh, an insignificant threat because of the huge amount of tax revenue we're now collecting. I remember the Irish system started off with a 0% rate in export sales. We didn't want to collect corporation tax. We wanted tax but from income tax and VAT and other forms of tax. Uh, it was sort of an unintended benefit to be collecting all this income tax to have the amount of employment you're generating. Like this strategy has been hugely successful. Why, is, why are these things a threat to Ireland? It's because of 12 billion of corporation tax with half, more than half of that paid by US companies. One interesting thing about US companies, just to, to finish on, on their tax payments, is that companies are now filing country by country reports. Uh, and the IRS have published statistics on the tax payments of US multinationals. Uh, and as I said, they do pay a lot of tax. US multinationals paid about $140 billion of tax to the US in 2018. They paid $10 billion of tax uh, to the UK uh, in 2018. That was the top two sources, or sorry, destinations of the tax of US multinationals. Number three on the list is Ireland. We are the third largest recipient of corporate taxes from US multinationals in the world. Uh, in 2018, they paid over $8 billion, $8.5 billion uh, of corporate tax in Ireland. That's more tax than they pay in Germany and France and Spain and Italy. And I think there is, you could see maybe a sense of a justification as to why those countries are upset. But the companies, the US companies have the substance here. Why are they paying that tax in Ireland? It's because they have the substance here. But I think it's extraordinary to think that of the tax US multinationals pay, the third largest recipient is Ireland not per capita, not as a share of national income in total. Uh, and I think just because of the size of it, it is a significant risk. Uh, I don't see a, a direct threat to it as of yet, but simply because of the size, it has to be considered a significant risk. Thank you, Seamus, very, very much. That was an absolute tour de force. Um, I certainly learned a lot. I'm pretty sure Jim um Absolutely, no, a Shane. little bit. Thank anyway, you very much. we'll almost certainly have you back on. I think one of the questions I'd like to ask you is: is is if you if you were given a blank sheet of paper, what system would you design for global corporate taxation? But we might leave that one to to the next podcast. Thank you very much indeed. You have been listening to Chris Johns and Jim Power. We aim to provide an independent take on economics, politics, and anything else that takes our fancy. Thank you very much for listening, and we hope to have you on board again very soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.